Hey, everybody out there in podcast land, this is Chris, the public safety guru. Before we begin today's lecture, I want to remind everybody that you can follow us on Instagram. The links are in our bio, as well as we are inviting you to participate in our new website, which is www.thepublicsafetyguru.com. You can register. Registration is free. Registration will always be free. The website is designed for those of you that are entering the public safety world. We want to be able to give you all the information we have so that you can be as successful as we were. Okay, so enough with the self-promotions. Let's go ahead and get started with your next lecture. All right, so today we're going to talk about obstetrics, neonate resuscitation, and gynecological emergencies. Get that pencil and paper, your thinking caps, and let's get to it. So let's start off with a little bit of anatomy. You need to know the structures of placenta, the umbilical cord, the amniotic sac, fetus, uterus, cervix, birth canal, vagina, and perineum. In pregnancies, normal gestation is between 38 to 40 weeks. Now, when we get involved in these emergencies, it's usually because of labor. So let's talk about the stages of labor. The first stage of labor is when contractions start and end with full dilation of the cervix. Stage 2 begins when the cervix is fully dilated and ends when the infant is born. Stage 3 begins with the birth of the infant and ends with the delivery of the placenta. Now, we do have an assessment for childbirth. We do a regular medical assessment plus DIPS, D-I-P-S. D stands for due date and doctor. I stands for infections or complications. P stands for prenatal care and para, and we'll talk about that in just a bit. And S stands for urge to have a bowel movement. As well as we are going to ask the mom para gravida. And we'll talk about that in just a minute, as well as the onset, frequency, and duration of the contractions and the last menstrual period. In regards to para and gravida, we want to know how many times a woman has been pregnant and how many live births she has given. So with that, if we were to say the patient is gravida 3, para 2, this means the mother has had three pregnancies and two live births. So there could be women that can essentially be gravita 3, para 1, which means they've been pregnant three times, including this birth, but they've only given birth to one child that lived, and that's where the differences come into play. So these, this is an important assessment to make when you are assessing the pregnant patient. Now, when we time contractions, we are looking for onset, frequency, duration, and intensity. We time contractions from the beginning of one to the beginning of another, beginning to beginning to make it simple. Now, we do have some signs of imminent birth that you need to be aware of. One of those is crowning. If the mother is crowning, guess what? You are about to deliver a baby. So here are some other signs and symptoms of an imminent birth. Contractions increasing in intensity and frequency, urge to push, urge to have a bowel movement, mother tells you, crowning of the presenting part, we do not deliver in a moving ambulance. If you are in the ambulance and birth is imminent, 
Guess what, ladies and gentlemen? You're going to pull over and you are going to deliver that baby. If the mom is having signs and symptoms of imminent birth at home, well, guess what? We're going to have it at the house. You're very capable of doing it. You're just playing Johnny Bench. In other words, you're just catching. And mom's going to be doing all the work here. So when we have to prepare for delivery, let's go ahead and think about what we need to do. First, proper BSI. Okay, We need to protect ourselves. Prepare the OB kit. Push away or remove mother's clothing while preserving her modesty. Place the, the mother in a semi-fellage position and consider O2 administration. Pad under and around the mother's hips and maintain a sterile airway. Now, I'm a big fan of O2 because after the mom delivers, she's going to present shocky, okay? She really is, and a little bit of O2 is not going to hurt her. Now, if we don't, for the most part, she'll be okay, but let's go ahead and be a little bit better than good, all right? So when positioning the mom for delivery, we want to place the mom in a semi-fellers position. Then we want to position the mother's toes about 12 inches from the end of the table. Okay. We want to create a sterile field using the items in our OB kit. And then here we go. We're going to start delivering the baby. So we're going to cleanse the perineum. That is that area between the vagina and the anus. We're going to be using sterile gloves. We're going to drape the mom. And as the baby's head starts to emerge out of the vagina, we're going to support it, okay? We don't want to pull on it. We don't want to apply Just You want to just kind of keep some pressure there so we don't have an explosive birth. Now, as you see the head emerge, you want to perform a cord check, all right? You want to make sure the cord is not wrapped around the baby's neck. If it is, we're going to have to take proper action. And your instructor in your program should be telling you about how to gently roll that cord over the baby's head. The hardest part is going to be getting it past the nose. Once you do that, then the rest of it should come out easily. Then we could straighten it out and continue the birth. Uh, we do not suction. Old school stuff. You may see old videos on this, but we do not suction anymore. So support the head and the upper body as the shoulder delivers. Handle the infant firmly but gently as that body delivers. Now, the body's essentially, as that head starts to come out, we're trying to get that one shoulder to come out. So we're going to gently move the baby's head downward, allowing that shoulder to pass through the, the vaginal cavity. Once it does, prepare for some that baby to basically come out faster because once the shoulders are out, that's it. We're done. The shoulders are what's holding us up. So a little bit downward position, and then as you pass that shoulder, a little upward position, and bam, you got baby. Now, when the baby is fully out and the baby is breathing and you performed your ABCs, this is when we clamp and cut the cord, okay? All right. Now you got this little alien with you, what are you going to do now? So let's talk about some post-delivery care. Let's first talk about clamping the cord and cutting it. The first clamp is going to go 6 to 8 inches from the baby, then 2 more inches apply second clamp. So picture that. From the baby's umbilical cord, you got to map out about 6 to 8 inches and then put that clamp. And then from that clamp, add 2 more inches and put your secondary clamp. Now, remember, the baby is going to be, the baby can lose heat, so we want to wrap the infant immediately in a towel or a blanket. We want to suction the mouth and nose only if there's an obstruction. You're going to perform a APGAR assessment at one minute and five minutes after delivery, and we'll talk about APGAR in just a second. 
get ready to deliver the placenta, okay? We're going to have to control any type of bleeding that may be going on. There may be some abnormal vaginal bleeding along with uh, certain conditions such as placenta previa and abruptio, but we'll talk about that in just a bit. And then you're going to maybe use a vaginal plant uh, pad, do a fundal massage. That's that ball just right on, right there in the super umbilicus that you can rub to reduce uh, the uh, vaginal bleeding that the mom may be having. And then give the baby to the mom so the breastfeeding process could stop because that's going to also release certain hormones into the mom to help with the control of bleeding as well as stop those uterine contractions. Now, when the placenta does deliver, you should have a bag in your OB kit to place it inside of, okay? We need to take it with us to the hospital because they will do an examination of the placenta to ensure that the placenta is normal. So I have a little chart that I want to share with you that I normally share in my PowerPoint. So let's see if I can do this via a podcast. So this is a resuscitation for a newborn who is not breathing. Now, we assess and support these items. We assess and support the temperature, the airway, breathing, and circulation. Now, under basic life support interventions, we are going to dry and warm the newborn, clear the airway with a bulb syringe if needed, stimulate the newborn if he or she is unresponsive, use a BVM to ventilate the newborn if needed. This is seldom required. Perform chest compressions if there is no pulse or if there if the heart or if the heart rate is below 60 after 30 seconds of ventilation and heart rate is not increasing. So remember that. Perform chest compressions if there is no pulse or if the heart rate is below 60 after 30 seconds of ventilation and the heart rate is not increasing. Let's talk about assessing breathing and circulation. All right. These are some 3 by 5 card stuff that you just need to memorize. If breathing is adequate or shallow slash slow and heart rate is 100 to 120, continue drying, warming, and stimulation. Let me repeat that. If breathing is adequate or shallow slash slow but the heart rate is between 100 and 120, continue drying, warming, and stimulation. If heart rate is 100 to 120 or greater and you have central cyanosis, in other words, the core of the body is blue, do blow by oxygen at 10 to 15 liters by mask. Just blow by. Don't put the mask around the baby. Just put the mask up to the baby's face. Now let's talk about breathing effort. Here's some more 3x5 card stuff. If the baby is gasping or there's inadequate respirations, ventilate at a rate of 40 to 60 a minute. Yes, this the yes this seems fast, but this is the rate you need to ventilate the neonate at. Use room air for the first 30 seconds and reassess. So let's talk about that one more time. If your newborn is gasping or there's inadequate respirations, Ventilate at a rate of 40 to 60 a minute, utilizing room air for the first 30 seconds. After this, reassess. If the heart rate is 60 to 100 or you have signs of central cyanosis, ventilate at a rate of 40 to 60, okay? Use room air for 60 to 90 seconds and reassess. One more time. If you have a heart rate that's between 60 to 100 or you show signs of central cyanosis, that's that core cyanosis, ventilate at a rate of 40 to 60. Use room air once again, but this time we are going to do this for 60 to 90 seconds and then we'll reassess. 
if there is no increase in heart rate after 90 seconds, ventilate with O2 for 30 seconds and then reassess and continue as needed. Last one, if no increase in heart rate after 90 seconds, ventilate with O2 for 30 seconds and reassess and continue as needed. I know that seems like a lot, ladies and gentlemen. You may have to rewind that and listen to it again, but these are just the numbers that you need to wrap your head around. I do promise you that once you're out in the field, it will be second nature. Now, what do we do when we have that newborn that has a heart rate below 60? Well, if the heart rate stays below 60 after 30 seconds, we ventilate with oxygen. At this point, we're going to start compressions and ventilations, and this is going to be a 3 to 1 cycle. 3 to 1. Now, we talked about central cyanosis. The reason why there's a difference in cyanosis is that central cyanosis is abnormal as opposed to peripheral cyanosis. Peripheral cyanosis is the extremities. This is actually normal right after birth, and it should the patient should start pinking up or becoming their natural color after one minute. Hence the reason why we do an APGAR at one minute and five minutes. Remember, we want our neonate to be warm, pink, and pissed off. We want them crying. Remember, they just came out of a cool place, right? They got fed. It was warm. They didn't have any worries in the world. Now, they got everything that we have, so they're going to be pissed off. How can you blame them? So what are some normal vital signs for a neonate? Heart rate is between 120 and 160. Respiratory rate is between 30 and 60. Hypoxia in all pediatrics, but especially young babies and those that are just born. Hypoxia causes bradycardia and asystole. Remember that. Hypoxia causes bradycardia and asystole. You may see this again somewhere on a test question or national registry. So what is this APGAR thing we're talking about that we need to do at one minute and five minutes after the baby is born? Well, A stands for appearance, P is pulse, G is grimace, A is activity, and R is respirations. What is a normal APGAR? Well, appearance will be normal without central cyanosis. Pulse will be greater than 100 beats per minute. Grimace will be vigorous with a strong cry. Activity, moving all extremities. And respirations will be normal with a good cry. All right, for APGAR scoring, this is what I want you to do on your piece of paper. I want you to make four columns. On the top of the columns, put area area of activity, and next to that, put a number two. Next to that, put a number one. And next to that, put a zero. Now, under area of activity, put appearance. Next category, pulse. Next, grimace. Next, activity. And then finally, respirations. Now, our patients will get a two, and we're going to start with appearance, if the entire newborn is pink. They will get a two for pulse if their heart rate is greater than 100. They will get a two for grimace if the newborn cries and tries to move foot away from the finger snapped against the sole of the foot. That's what you do. Just snapping against the sole of the foot. That's what it should sound like. They get a two for activity if the newborn resists attempts to straighten the hips and the knees, and they get a two for rapid respirations. Now, for one, 
They will get body is pink, but hands and feet remain blue. They will get a 1 for pulse if there is fewer than 100 beats. They will get a 1 if the newborn gives a weak cry in response to stimulus. They will get a 1 for activity if newborn makes weak attempts to resist straightening. And they will get a 1 for slow respirations. Now, the infant will get a 0 if the entire newborn is blue or pale for appearance. They will get a 0 for pulse if there is no pulse. They will get a 0 for grimace if the newborn does not cry or react to stimulus. And they will get a 0 for activity if the newborn is completely limp with no muscle tone. And they will get a 0 for respirations if there are no respirations. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are going to take a quick break for our sponsor. And we'll be back to finish up this lecture. Okay, so let's talk about some complications. We could have an unruptured amniotic sac. This means the sac has not broken and the baby delivers while in the sac. We can have an umbilical cord around the neck. We can have meconium staining. In other words, the baby had their first bowel movement through the birth canal. And we can have an explosive birth. Now, with these complications, we obviously have treatments. So for an unruptured amniotic sac, what we are going to do is we're going to puncture the sac and push it away from the baby. So what I would just say is that you want to pinch a little piece of the sac, causing that tear. At that point, the fluid will go ahead and spill out. And then we want to push the sac away from the baby. For the umbilical cord that's wrapped around the neck, we want to gently slip the cord over the infant's head. In extreme circumstances, it may have to be cut, but it better be extreme, ladies and gentlemen. Well, how are you going to know that? Well, you're going to know that if you have that infant that's dying right there in front of you. They're totally blue. It's just a call that you're going to have to make. Meconium staining, we want to suction if it's causing obstruction. So as the baby's coming out, you want to make sure you want to take a look at the nose and the mouth to make sure that we have no meconium um, inside of those orifices. If you do, let's go ahead and um, suction that. For an explosive delivery, well, we talked about that while we were delivering. This is why you have to keep gentle pressure as the baby's shoulders starting to make their way out so you don't have that quick burst as the shoulders finally pass. Now, this is not a complication, but it is a possibility that you may have to deal with. Twins. Yes, we sometimes get the opportunity to do it twice. So, here are some here are some stuff or information regarding twins. Twins are usually smaller. If the mother's abdomen remains large after the first delivery, you should suspect twins. Believe it or not, ladies and gentlemen, in this day and age, in the 21st century, some people just do not go to the doctor once they find out they're pregnant. They do everything at home. They have no prenatal care, no prenatal vitamins. They're just at home. So they may not know they're going to have twins. Now, the delivery procedures are the same. What we do is we note the time of the birth for each, and we and then we number them. This is number one, and this is number two. Go ahead and take a Sharpie, put a number one on their forehead, and then put a number two on their forehead. I'm just kidding. I have to say I'm just kidding because I realize some of you are going to be firefighters. So, you know, we know how I feel about firefighters. Okay. So there may be one or two placentas to deliver. This just depends. Sometimes the twins can uh, share a placenta. So you just need to be aware of that. And then we're going to keep both of them warm. Unfortunately, and I have been there, we may have to deliver a baby that, uh, that's that been premature. 
Premature is considered prior to eight months. The infants are very small. We are going to deliver in the same, but we have to be ready to support the infant's vital functions, okay, especially with airway and respirations. And we need to keep this infant warm. We need to keep all of them warm, but even more so our preemies because if their core temperature starts to drop, they will die. Now, there are some conditions that can happen to a pregnant mom. One of those is referred to as pregnancy-induced hypertension, PIH. We have preeclampsia, and then we have eclampsia and toxemia. Now, what ends up happening here is the pregnancy takes a toll on the mom's body, causing them to be preeclamptic or eclamptic. So signs and symptoms are this, headache, sudden weight gain, edemia, especially to the hands, feet, and face, hypertension, the diastolic will be over 90, and the patient could present with seizures. Now, the treatment is left lateral position, because remember, we do not transport our moms in a semi-fellers position after the third trimester. High flow O2, keep the environment calm, and transport code 2. We do not need to excite the mom anymore. Now, you heard me say, put the mom in a left lateral position because after the third trimester, we do not um, uh, place the mom in that semi-fellers to fellers position. We do not lie a mom in her third trimester on her back. The baby weighs so much that it will compress the vena cava, causing the mom to go into what we call a pregnancy-induced hypotension. Pregnancy-induced hypotension. Just because the fetus is pushing down on that vena cava, causing the mom's blood pressure to drop. So we do not lay the mom flat on her back. As a matter of fact, her doctor should have told her not to lie on her back after the third trimester. What do we do for the woman who has a low blood pressure that's in her third trimester? Okay, left lateral if there's no trauma. And if there is trauma, we're going to tilt or rotate the mom who's on a backboard 20 to 30 degrees to the left while maintaining spinal immobilization if there's traumatic injuries. Does this happen? Yes. Guess what? Moms get into car accidents. Moms slip and fall. Okay? So we have to be prepared to put them in spinal immobilization and then tilt that backboard at that 20 to 30 degrees. Don't forget that. Okay? Because if not, mom's going to remain in a hypotensive crisis. Unfortunately, we may be called to a woman who had a spontaneous abortion, a.k.a. a miscarriage. This usually occurs before the 20th week. What we want to be concerned about is the possibility of infection as well as the mom being in shock. So we need to treat for shock. We need to transport the mom to the hospital because there are certain things that a doctor needs to do procedurally for the mom. If there's any tissue that has been passed, we want to bring that so they can examine that. Okay? Why do I seem like I got so solemn? Because it actually is a very solemn call. People have been trying to have a baby, and then they just have that spontaneous miscarriage. It's a sad thing. Sometimes this is when someone actually finds out they're pregnant. They think they're having their period finally, then they start seeing the tissue. So it is very sad, so you need to be very empathetic. Now, earlier I talked about placentia abruptio and placenta previa. So let's talk about placenta abruptio first, and we're going to try to get you to remember which one is which. So placenta abruptio, premature separation of the placenta, often due to PIH or trauma. 
Signs and symptoms include a painful, rigid abdomen with little or no vaginal bleeding and shock. We treat for shock and position in the left lateral position, Trendelenburg if active labor, and then rapid transport for definitive care. Now we have placenta previa. Placenta previa is the placenta develops over the cervix. Signs and symptoms include a painless abdomen in between contraction and lots of vaginal bleeding. This is what's happening. The placenta is covering the cervix opening, ladies and gentlemen. And guess who needs to go through that? The baby. So the baby starts to push through that, ripping the placenta apart, thus killing itself and killing the mom because the mom's going to bleed to death. Now, hopefully, if this does happen, we can get the baby out before the baby dies, but we still need to now – we have a big time in medical emergency for the mom because she is going to go hypotensive and in shock on us. So treatment, we're going to treat for shock and position a left lateral trendelenburg position if labor is still active. Rapid transport for delivery to the hospital. Now, in both of these conditions – These are moms that are going to have C-sections. The doctors have told them you're going to have a C-section. The doctor can tell where the placenta is at through their ultrasounds. But sometimes birth just comes when it wants to come, and this is what happens. So now, how do we know the difference or how do we remember the difference for testing purposes between placenta abruptio and placenta previa? Well, placenta previa has two Ps. So I say push through the placenta. Push through the placenta, okay? So placenta previa means the baby's pushing through the placenta. And then, bless, and then abruptio is the one that tears away from the uterine wall. So this is that's the difference. If you can remember what placenta previa is, pushing through the placenta, the P's, then you'll remember what abruptio is because it's the other medical emergency. I just realized how animated I got in trying to describe abruptio and previa to you. All right, so let's talk about some other emergencies, namely a breech delivery. A breech delivery is considered the buttocks or both the legs are delivering first. Now, in this case, birth could still be normal, and let's hope it is, but sometimes the head could get stuck there and we need to do something. If the head fails to deliver, then we're going to insert a sterile glove hand to create an airway for the infant. So picture that the baby's nose is pushing up against the the vaginal wall. So you're going to place your hand inside of the vagina and you're going to push down trying to get an airway for your baby. We're going to position the mother's hips higher than her head and provide her high flow O2. And then we're going to keep the infant as warm as possible and this is going to be a rapid transport. We can also have a limb presentation. Though this is an uncommon occurrence, it is a true emergency. We're going to place the mom in a left lateral trendelenburg position and high flow O2 to the mom. Rapid transport, Mr. Toad's wild ride because there is no failed treatment. The next emergency that you may have is called a prolapse cord. This is when the cord has delivered first. And unfortunately, in this situation, as the baby begins to deliver, the baby is going to be compressing its own umbilical cord. Now, remember, the baby is still dependent on that umbilical cord for life. What are we going to do? Well, we're going to provide the mom with high flow O2. We're going to place the mother in a left lateral Trendelenburg position, 
rapid transport. Other things we are going to do is we're going to use a sterile glove um, and we're going to displace the presenting part of the cord if it's pulseless. So you're going to feel for the cord to see if it's still pulsating. If it's not, you're going to have to push, put your hand in the vagina and push away the vaginal wall away from that cord to stop the, the wall from compressing it. Um, place a moist sterile dressing over the cord if it is pulsating, so we have to keep it nice and moist, okay? Um, this is usually a first stage of labor issue. After that, we're okay. We do have a position that we'll sometimes put our moms in for a breach or prolapse cord. This is, we have to place the mom on their knees and their elbows. I basically get a pillow and put them in that position. Buttocks are in the air. This is to help the baby or gravity to pull the baby towards the mom's chest, thus trying to slow down the birth. This is about the best we can do in the field. Now, after the baby has been born, we can have the possibility of having a postpartum hemorrhage. Postpartum hemorrhage as is defined as excessive bleeding over 500 cc's, and this is following the delivery of the child. What we can do is we can perform a fundal massage and put the infant to breastfeed. We're going to place a pad over the vagina opening. We're not going to pack the vagina. Remember, we do not do that. And we're going to treat for shock and elevate the hips. And we will do a rapid transport. Now, normal vaginal bleeding, or there should the, there is normal bleeding after birth. But this is that bleeding that continues. And once again, 500 cc's, that's, that's, that's a significant amount of blood. The mom's going to start getting shocky, okay? We can do something for her. All right, we're rounding the corner now to finish this lecture. Now, we do have some possible scenarios that can happen. We can deliver a baby that the mother is addicted to alcohol or drugs. So in this, we're going to obviously ensure proper BSI because the mom is addicted to alcohol slash drugs. We're going to deliver the baby as normal. However, in this, we want to watch out for severe respiratory depression and low birth weight as this could have been indicative because of the abuse. Remember, what the mom did to her body, she did to the baby. So the body could possibly, or I'm sorry, the baby could possibly be addicted to alcohol and or drugs as well. I haven't heard of this too much more, but there is a possibility of delivering a dead baby. In other words, the baby died. The mom knows the baby died. The doctor knows the baby died. And they're going to allow the mom to go through the birthing process. This does. This is a scenario that possibly could happen. Um, some key things to remember: it could be a very emotional situation for family as well as you because you're essentially delivering a dead baby. Um, the infant may be born with skin blisters, uh, skin sloughing, and dark discoloration. Um, and remember, we do not attempt to resuscitate because the baby is, or I should say the infant is obviously dead. I've had a scenario like this. That's probably why my voice changed because I'm remembering it. Um, it sucked. Even though the mom knew it was going to happen, it sucked. Um, did I tell you it sucked? Yeah, it sucked. So hopefully you'll never have this situation. Um, hopefully you won't have many of the situations that I have, but if you're in this field for three decades, you're probably going to see a lot of stuff. Now, we do have some gynecological emergencies that we need to talk about. We have abdominal or pelvic pain, pelvic inflammatory disease, and atopic pregnancies. Now, with the pelvic inflammatory disease, uh, this is a disease that attacks the fallopian tubes. Signs and symptoms are 
uh, lower abdominal pain, abnormal vaginal discharge, fever, pain, or difficult urination. Not much treatment we can do here. We're going to just treat the general abdominal pain as we would with any abdominal pain. Now, what PID does, PID, is it scars the fallopian tubes, causing a greater chance for a mom to have an atopic pregnancy. So remember that. Pelvic inflammatory disease, PID, scars the fallopian tubes, which could essentially put the mom at a greater risk for atopic pregnancies. So what is an atopic pregnancy? Well, an atopic pregnancy is when a fertile egg begins to make its way from the ovary down the fallopian tube and gets stuck. Mom doesn't know she's pregnant, but she will. As the baby finally gets to a certain size, she will have lower abdominal pain, vaginal bleeding, and signs of shock. What is our treatment? We treat for shock. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that is it for this lecture. 33-minute lecture. It's a lot of stuff. Now, if you are preparing for your Block 6 exam in my class or you're preparing for any exam regarding OB, this is a great lecture to listen to as well as the study guide for exam 6 because that's an OB slash PEDS study guide. For those of you preparing for Block Exam 6, this is one of four lectures. This is the first lecture. Second one is infants and children. Third one is child abuse and SIDS. And the fourth one is geriatrics. These four topics will be on your Block 6 exam. All right, ladies and gentlemen, it's been a pleasure. Good luck to you on your testing. And remember, there's always a silver lining. Not everyone can be an EMT, but anyone could be a firefighter. All right, this is Chris, the Public Safety Guru, signing off. Good luck to you and have a good night.